Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and I've been working on a series on gender, sexuality, and transition for the last few months and have been making inroads or having wonderful discussions with a milieu of fascinating individuals. Today's guest is Weston Chancellor Grove, and he speaks about his transition from female to male and then detransition or at least a medical detransition, and how transition was a way of dealing with different problems and how he has started to actually deal with the underlying issues for his life. We also speak about his writing Chops and Romanticism, and it uh, turns out we're kindred spirits, even though I'm a young soul, he's an old soul, and but we intersect wherein the romantic Bildungsroman is concerned. So without further ado, here's Weston. All right, let's resume this. Well, actually, let's get it off the ground. How you doing? Um, it depends on what moment you catch me, but um, I'm okay. In this moment? Yes. And um, it'd have to be a specific in, in terms of how I'm doing in what realm. Okay. Are you like, you exist in multiple realms uh, simultaneously? Not always, but I'm usually on a different plane. I, um, I step back from the world and I see it at a different pace. And um, that makes it difficult to exist in this world. But I'm also practical. And I know, you know, you have to go to work and do all that fun stuff. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. You uh, somebody linked one of your videos to me. And I think you just started making videos very recently. Is that correct? Yes. And I did it one for myself and also to um, be a resource to others. It's it's not about I am not an activist and I am not um, anti-transitioning. I'm neutral. And so a lot of individuals have made the assumption that, oh, my gosh, he's detransitioning because he went off hormones. No, mm -hmm. that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So what would you classify yourself as now insofar as you can dwell inside of a classification? Um, in terms of gender, I like to be taken as male and seen that way. However, emotionally, I've always felt androgynous. And there's nothing wrong with that. I actually, I'm glad about that. It makes it uncomfortable at times. It makes it difficult to navigate through this world, but it's not a bad thing. How do you mean, can you describe what it means to feel emotionally uh, androgynous? Yes. Um, I mean, realistically, I know I will never be biologically male. And... There are certain things I know from, you know, the female perspective, and I can never change that, and that's okay. So I, I, I look at things from both a male and female perspective, um, even in my interactions with different people. And I sometimes I feel guilty about that. I feel like I'm a fraud because I know, you know, I am not male. And um, that is difficult because I like to be authentic. Mm -hmm. One of the critiques of feeling male or feeling female is how do we know what the emotional life of a male or a female is? What is gender apart from the sexual manifestation? That is true, and there's a huge spectrum on that. However, there are certain key components. I mean, it They've been ingrained since the dawn of mankind. And over time, society has perpetuated, you know, those expectations of what makes a man versus what makes a woman. But there are still traits that are inherent to each gender. And it doesn't make one better or worse. It just, it makes us different. And, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We were designed to complement each other hmm. and um, to be more specific some of the traits i mean typically not always but typically women are seen you know they're the they're they're the nurturing kind and men are the providers and the protectors just based on their physical stature and natural strength i mean that's you know very fundamental but hmm. at a, at its core that's what it is 
And if you identify on an emotional level as more male, but you don't have those physical characteristics that would support those typical roles and fit you into those that nest of expectations, then that, that must uh, cause some distress internally and maybe confusion when you go out and try to interact authentically with other people. In the beginning it did, before I transitioned. I mean, it was, it was agony. I didn't interact um, over time. That fell into place. Mine actually is more this. Um, emotionally, I feel I'm more, I would say, 60% female, 40% male, um, which is okay. Whereas I know some other trans individuals, I mean, they're, you know, hardcore all the way, identify as completely masculine. And it's... As I said, there's a continuum. Another critique of the uh, of the focus on gender is that those categories can never define who one is. They provide um, a means for one focusing on what one might be, but they will never satisfy one's uh, development into who they really are. Right, and I would think I would say that that is uh, applies to humankind and it's completely gender irrelevant hmm. i think we all struggle to identify who we are at the core mm -hmm. did you um would you agree with the term of gender dysphoria and is that what you experienced and when did that start yes i won't deny that it was um very strange for me because I, I experienced extreme denial. There were inklings when I was 12, but um, nothing concrete, and then it manifested. So there wasn't a term. This was, my gosh, this was about 16 years ago, 16, 18 years ago, and it was still coming to the forefront, uh, the term transgender, and I still don't like that term. Um, it's very clinical, and I, I prefer hybrid, but... It really hit home with me when I was 15 or 16. I was sitting there and I was like, I, to me, I, I said, I want to be a boy. I didn't say I wanted to be a man. I just knew I wanted to be a boy. Something was wrong. And from there, it just escalated and became increasingly more uncomfortable in my skin. And was this initiated or in looking back, do you see that it coincided with certain events, certain interactions with other people or certain media or just developing your internal sense of self? Um, definitely the latter because I, I was not social and back then um, social media really hadn't taken off and I was not influenced by anyone. I, I existed in a vacuum and I, uh, my mother did take me to certain groups. P flag tried to expose me to, you know, other individuals struggling, but um, I was not receptive. I did not want to deal with it. And I looked at it as, oh, they have their issues. Uh, you know, I can't relate. Hmm. That's your grandfather clock. <laughs> yes, it is. It's as old as I am. <laughs> um, that kind of broke my train of thought, but, oh, Sorry. this is a personal question so we can circumvent it, but I'm just asking about it because it happened during puberty. Was it related to your sexuality? Did you find yourself attracted to a certain type of relationship with men or women? That was actually, I would say in some aspects, I was spared. I, it was like I, socially, I had arrested development. I was not attracted to anyone until, again, I, I felt certain things I, I had a crush on a female teacher, but I didn't really dwell on it. I didn't think about it. I, I wasn't like, what are the implications of this? Um, I didn't date. I didn't experiment. I, I mean, I'm being honest here. And hmm. um, so I, I stayed blissfully ignorant. I chose to, I guess, on some level. I was protecting hmm. myself for as long as I could. And for me, I, I don't mind saying it. Um, puberty, puberty hit very late, and maybe that's why. And maybe that has implications as to my situation. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And 
Well, during this age between 12 and let's say 15, 16, um, if you're not interacting socially, then your psychological development is probably happening internally. And how did you explore and express that? Did you go to books? Did you go to other media? Did you do writing, art, stuff like that? Yes, I um, buried myself in academics and writing. Writing has been my salvation. Hmm. Uh, it's the one thing, honestly, at times that kept me alive. And it actually, I was able to create a very rich inner life. Not a fantasy, I don't mean that. But um, I became very old in some ways, hmm. and yet I was still young in others. Yeah. So you had like an age dysphoria going on? Is that what you're saying? Yes, and still do. <laughs> How old do you identify as? If you can pick Honestly, a I, I like to tell people that I'm about, I would say I'm about 59 or 62. Hmm. <laughs> and people, um, when I interact, they take me for older. Yeah. Just based on conversation. Yeah, I get taken as younger. What was it about writing that caused it to become a lifeline? To you was it the practice was it language was it the people that you formed and, and interacted with in the page I, fictional people I think for me and that's an interesting question I think it was the one place where I felt liberated I didn't have to hide hmm. and it just it it was inherent in me it just came so naturally and um, that's where I thrived it, it there was a enormous amount of pain in my writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when did it start to become inevitable that you would proceed with physical transition? That was actually um, when I was 16 or 17. I was adamant about it. And that's what I would like to, to tell younger generations. I get, you know, how desperate and um, demonstrative, you, you know, they can be about it. I was that way. I was like, I want to die or have this surgery. Hmm. And if you want to ask me more questions before I go on, that's fine. But um, I was yeah, 16 or 17, and then surgery took place at 20. Okay. And how did you express that at 16, 17? Did you go to your parents? Did you go to doctors? I, um, I was very reticent about this, and... I put it, it was very obscure. I wrote a letter to my mother, and I, I didn't say, you know, blatantly what it was. And from there, she sought resources, therapists. But even when she took me to therapist, I still wouldn't verbalize it. I would write it. And so from there, I had to get letters, and that's, that's how it unfolded. Hmm. Did you, this is kind of a side note, but did you have like an epistolatory or a, a writing, letter writing relationship with anybody? During this time? A pen no. Pen? There there was one individual online. Didn't know him very long. We never met face to face. Never saw, you know, what he looked like. Um, but no, I I closed myself off. I did not want to deal with this. I hmm. hated it. Hmm. And looking back, I mean, that was a detriment. How so? It, um, I, my regret... I'm not saying that I regret transitioning. My regret is that I didn't explore things and discuss these issues with anyone, hmm. not even therapists. Like I said, I would write a couple of things, but they didn't, they didn't ask explicit questions, and I just was not ready to look at myself literally and emotionally. And so I internalized so much. I, I went ahead with the surgery and the hormones without realizing the ramifications. I know that sounds, maybe that sounds naive, but it wasn't naivety. It was, it was denial. And denial of what? For whatever reason. What's that? Denial of what? That the this root of the problem wasn't going to be solved through physical this situation. Okay. Just um, the whole situation, I, I did not want to look at my body. I would not say certain words. I, I wanted to distance myself as far away from the female concept as I could. Okay. 
And I know that now looking back, I'm like, wait, wait a second. There's something wrong with that. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being female. Absolutely nothing. But I couldn't accept that at the time. So would you say your desire to transition was more to gain distance from the female than to gain nearness or identity with the male? That's, that's a great way of putting it. In a way, yes, definitely. Because I, wanted, I did not want to have to deal with, you know, the monthly hardship and the extra weight up top. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, you know, I wanted to become male completely. Huh. And does that go back to what you were saying about not realizing the ramifications of initiating a male process in your body? Yes. And that may be very surprising to some people. And, you know, they might say, my God, were you just out to lunch? No, when you're when you're young, you know, when mm. you're an adolescent, you're still forming your identity in so many ways. And you have a lot of times you have tunnel vision and you're so focused on the solution hmm. that you fail, you know, you're blindsided. How did you discover that this could be a solution, that physical transition, that medical intervention could be a solution? Honestly, I didn't specifically. Um, my mother did research. She had resources. And no, my mother didn't want this, believe me. Nothing like that. And um, the, the therapist that I saw at the time, they had mentioned it. And um, from there, it just evolved. Hmm. So what was it like then, uh, initiating that transition, taking the hormones, I suppose? That actually, it all, it seems so long ago. Um, at the time, high school, like I said, I was so glad um, that was over. But after that, it, it happened very quickly. Um, I started hormones two months after my surgery. And that was it. Um, okay, this is really personal because it's medical. Um, did you do removal surgery then? And that was the first step? Yes. Okay. And then you went on hormones. Is that correct? That doesn't seem and to be that typical, but I, no, okay. no. And it's not even then they said that, uh, but, um, the reason I did it, there were a few benefits regarding, um, double mastectomy if you weren't on hormones. Hmm. And also I didn't want to wait longer. I didn't want to go on hormones, you know, for five, six months. I knew I wanted the surgery. And so that's why. What was it like then to be, let's say, liberated from uh, the female appendages? <laughs> and that's the word I use, appendages. It was, um, I still remember that moment after the surgery when they were um, unwrapping me or whatnot. I was so afraid to put my hand on my chest because I was, I didn't, I still hadn't looked at myself. I was like, what if there's something there? It was just, it was wonderful. It, it truly was that it was relief in that moment, uh, physically. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, that was nice. Mm -hmm. And did you, did you have to live as a male before this happened, before they okayed the surgery at this time? Was there a gating process you had to get through? Yes. And, um, I don't think it still is required, but, the Harry Benjamin standards of care and you had to live I believe don't hold me to this but I want to say back then it was five years hmm. it didn't mean you had to be on hormones but you had to you know be passing as a male and I had been and my documents were legally changed before the surgery and during that period of living as a male did you feel like you could plug into society and interact with people better as a male than as a female? For me, or, and I know this is still very... like difficulty across the board. It's still difficult. And I know that that's subjective. Every individual is different. But for me, it was exceedingly difficult. And as I honestly... Man. Yes, and, and not because I was a male, just because of who I was personality-wise. 
I want to clarify that. Yeah. I was an extreme introvert, and I've, I've honestly, I've never discussed this in this manner so openly. Had someone ask specific questions, and it, it's actually it's it's positive. Yeah. Well, let me know if I'm getting too direct. <laughs> no, it's way back when I would have I would have closed the laptop and said bye. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this, this is fine. And so, what was it like um, when you started hormones and getting that? I guess second puberty, as it's uh, been described by other people. Yes, it was, and I, I want to be specific about this. When you first um, experience it, it is wonderful because it, it's new. Hmm. And it, it is exciting. So I, I've been reading some responses to my videos. And, you know, it, I see some of the young guys and they're like, what's wrong with you now? And they're angry. And I can relate to how they feel at that age. You know, I it, it felt positive. It felt right. It was great. But um, it's hmm. it's not that simple. What happens is very gradual. And I mean, there's... I'm not going to, you can ask me other questions, but I think the, the most difficult part is the emotional and just the, the mental changes oh, more, than, okay. more than the physical. Um, so I suppose there's kind of a tempestuousness, like everything's new and different and, and running around and you have a different set of emotions or a different intensity or spectrum of emotions. And then you have to kind of develop ways of managing those, right? Which can be like a fun challenge in a certain respect. It can be. Um, it can also be overwhelming. And it, it's hard to establish what is causing which symptom. Yeah. You know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And I, I've analyzed that in depth. Um, I don't want to attribute, you know, everything to my gender situation. That would be a grave mistake. Mm -hmm. I have, as I said, I have other elements that have made it difficult socially. Were you able to maintain your relationship with writing during that period of transition? Yes, always. And how, in looking back, how did it affect your writing or where, what direction did you end up going with your output? Uh, it actually, it led me in the direction perhaps that I was meant to take and that I may not have otherwise. And, um, so I have to look at that as in a way it was a double-edged sword with, with any gift, it comes, it comes at a price and you have to be willing to accept that. Mm -hmm. And would I trade it? Sometimes I say, God, yes, just give me a, you know, a more straightforward life. But other times I'm like, it's been so rich that I don't think I'd want to. Clock again. Keeping us on time. <laughs> yes. Did, I want to press this a little bit because I think it might say something about the influence of hormones on, on the brain. Like, did your, did the, quality or the tone of your writing change did did your obsession with different aspects of story and and language change do you, do you recall that it's funny you would say that because i was i was concerned about it hmm. because i didn't want it to change me for the worst um but it didn't and even in crossing over i actually in some ways i became more sensitive which huh. you wouldn't think would be the case it, that defies logic well, it, des it defies, I don't know about logic, it des defies a, a certain stereotype of the male, but the, the sensitive male, uh, like like the image of the poet, uh, is usually a male, like the hypersensitive, going to kill myself, you know, Chatterton, or whatever his name, Chesterton, the guy that killed himself, um, there you know, so or, or Yeats, or Keats, or all those guys. Um, so it's not necessarily uh, true that, that males are sectioned off from a sensitivity they can be actually exquisitely sensitive and obsessive yes. about certain things yes and uh that's definitely in terms of sensitivity 
I'm your true romantic poet from the yeah. Keatsian era. And that, that, <laughs> that caused a lot of grief. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think on a subconscious level, that's why um, I, I really enjoy listening to you and your videos. I think uh, we have a, a sympathy of, of sympathy. We have a sympathetic sympathy. Yes. In a way. That's, thank you. Yes. And sense. has your writing um, been mostly fiction then? Is that your main uh, genre? Actually, I classify things sometimes as fiction because I'll change names, but it has been heavily um, it's memoir. I mean, my Bildungsroman is a memoir. Yeah. And it's not because, you know, I'm in love with myself. No, God, no. It's just hmm. that you write what you know. You write from experience, and that that is how it's not contrived. And yeah, and just, uh, do you have your copy on your within reach? You can show the camera if you want, or I'll plug yes, it later. But I do. Oh my yeah, gosh, this pretty, is a weapon. Thick, yeah. It's something that you could cudgel people with. Yeah, there it is. It's who has known heights? Yeah. How many pages? It at is at this point in history. It is seven hundred and fifty four pages and it's I tell it's three books in one. But about seven hundred and thirty pages, it's all true. The last twenty pages I fictionalize and mm -hmm. if anyone ever reads it, they'll know why it's fictionalized. Mm -hmm. I, I have my, my building Shroman just to my right and Do you? <laughs> It's just right there staring at me. <laughs> what What is it about? Uh, it's about a kid who, uh, I don't know. It's it's about a kid who's a poet and, and he does his thing. 725 words just like you, you know? Oh my gosh. Go. Awesome. Poetry, fiction, horror, erotica, the whole, the whole 18 yards, whatever. Yes. Huh. Okay. I will check that out. Well, it's not ready for publication, but maybe I'll send you a private copy. But enough about me. <laughs> I always, I like to deflect sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when did you finish that piece of writing? Or when did you get it to the state that it was printed? Oh my gosh, that is such a story in itself. I like to tell people I wrote it in 10 days. Um, it took off and on because I started it when I was 19 and then put it away for years. Yeah. So it took a good 12 years, but um, I actively worked on it for three years when I was finishing my master's degree. It was my thesis. And so it was completed in 2016. And then I What just was your master's in? Creative writing. Okay. And then I just finished another book um, and I received the proof today. So that was exciting. Excellent. I love that feeling. Yes. Yep, it's tangible, and it's like, damn, all the work. Yeah. And people, as a writer, you know, people don't always understand what it takes, the dedication, without, you know, gratification. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the ability to defer pleasure or reward mm -hmm. uh, knows no heights beyond the... Uh, the the magnum opus, like, you know, like James Joyce, you know, however long it took him to write Ulysses, yes. like how much talking to yourself is involved in doing this is insane. Like exactly. literally probably like you can be thrown into like a asylum because of how much talking you're doing to yourself. Yes. I, I like to tell people and I'll, I want to be very um distinct in how I say it. I tell people I am guilty of musitating. Musitating. <laughs> Mus yeah, musitating is rambling or just mumbling to yourself. <laughs> and do you, do you take long walks while you musitate? Or uh, yes, yep. yeah, yeah. Where did you end up going to college? I went for um, graduate school to Goddard College in Vermont. And the funny part is, I did not realize that they're the mecca for um, really gays, trans, you know, all really? of all across the board and that's not why i chose it yeah um i just chose it because it's very progressive and i love their structure mm. i think I it's mean, pretty it was... similar to evergreen in certain respects 
okay. which is a college that I went to. Where they where is Evergreen? It's in Olympia. It's got narrative evaluations and uh, yes, okay, a lot of self directed study. Yeah, um, Goddard College also has a campus in Port Townsend, of um, Washington. Oh, okay. okay, yeah. And what was it like to be in a community that was very pro LGBT? Honestly, it it was fine. Um, I didn't mind it, but I still. I uh, was hiding myself. Even then, I didn't tell people. I didn't want to deal with it, did not want to accept it in myself. That has been the hardest part in my life, accepting it to myself. And I, I've made great strides in that area. Hmm. Accepting but, what precisely? That that I am that I am different. You know, I'm I'm neither male nor female. And me you know, I see that as there's something, you know, I see that as, I don't want to say wrong, but just it's not normal. Hmm. And that, that, that makes it hard. Other people have been very accepting of me, but I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was... I, I go on. No, please go on. I, I don't hate myself. I don't mean that. That that would be really depressing and dark. It's just I, I, I can play the devil's advocate. You know, I look at the majority of the population and to those out there wondering, you know, and saying, oh, my gosh, there's something wrong with people that do this. And, you know, they cut off parts of their body and they want to change it. And I sit there and I say, I can see your perspective. I do. It's it is strange, but it doesn't it doesn't make you fundamentally bad or wrong it just it makes you different and that difference it creates hardship and it's nothing that you would wake up one morning and say oh i want this give it to me yeah and, and i think a lot of individuals they they miss that they, they don't realize it they're, they're afraid so. what was something that started to turn you toward accepting it or voicing that you needed to accept this a lot of um a lot of pain and hardship i had denied certain things for so long to myself and it, there's just there's a ledger you know a intangible ledger and it just gets to be too much and you have to let go or it's going to pull you under and i i, I couldn't hide from it anymore it was stifling hmm. and what was uh and this is in the interest of people who would be educated and and helped by your journey like what was the way in which you began to you know tick off items from that ledger or initiate the process of reckoning with what you'd been saving up i guess i stopped the internal monologue I used to ruminate a lot. I don't ruminate anymore. I will still contemplate things, but I'm, I'm aware of what I'm doing. Whereas in the past, I would just fall into this cycle, this vicious cycle, and that, that wasn't benefiting anyone. And it sounds bizarre, but the small changes that I would make, it, they weren't conscious. Um, I, you know, I didn't make a list and say, okay, I'm going to tick this off and try this and try this. It just, it came to me. That may sound bizarre, but it just came at the right time, what I needed to do. And it still is doing that. And it, it's not forced. And I think that's what the problem was. I was resisting so much inside. And when you let go of this sounds very Zen and, you know, Buddhist, but when you just let go, it, it makes life a lot easier. I'm not saying I've let go of everything. No, but a lot. Hmm. And when did you start letting go then? Was it, it was after your master's? It was after finishing the book that you have? I would say within, I would say within the last two, two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Which coincides with the uh, rise of transgenderism as a discussion. Y yes. I, Interestingly enough, yes. And honestly, I, I have not been following it. And because for the longest time, I didn't want to deal with it. But now I sit there and I say, well, 
I've lived this. So why not be, you know, a sounding board or a voice for others who are curious? And I've heard of um, the situation where it's becoming almost like a trend. And that's, that's not good. That's not, not, that's not healthy. There are things to be concerned about. Because this isn't something that you just try on for fun. Hmm. And why is it not something that you try on for fun? Can you articulate that? Uh, because there are, I mean, there are multiple ramifications. And some things are irreversible. And there's a lot of hardship, not just on yourself, but on family, you know, your, your work life, friends. And it, I, I don't know, it just, why would you do that to yourself? Hmm. You know? Certain people might say that if society abolished gender, then it wouldn't be a problem for people. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's possible? No, I, I disagree with it. There would, there would always be an issue. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. You can't just abolish gender. There, we have to come to a higher plane, and that's going to be, take a lot, of, a lot of time, decades. It won't be in my lifetime. I think we're going to have, kind of like um, we did in the 70s, everything's just going to fall apart. And... <laughs> I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Yeah, right. You keep on saying that, but it's not true. <laughs> but it's it's going to become a melting pot, and there's going to be a lot of grief, a lot of anger, and then it's going to flush itself because humans just need that for whatever reason. We love to antagonize each other, mm -hmm. and then I think we'll come around, and we'll realize, okay, this is where we're headed. I, I, we don't know where we're headed right now. We're, yeah. we're too focused. It, it's myopic. Mm -hmm. We're focused on the, this small issue instead of looking long term. Hmm. I really jive with you saying we need to get to a higher plane of existence. And it seems right now we're, we're the, the issue is above us. And so that's why there's so much scrambling and so much uh, infighting. And, and everybody's feeling claustrophobic by this issue. Let's just say gender. But once yes. we overstand it and look down on it as something that's a part of us, but not necessarily our prison, it's just the scaffolding upon which we stand and rise, then it won't become such an issue or the issue will be different. And, and I don't know, I don't, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, and I'm just speaking romantically and intuitively, but. No, that's, that is profound. I mean, that's very accurate. And when did you decide to release yourself from the hormonal uh, treatment? Uh, then? That was two months ago. Wow. Yes. And as I said in my video, I did not agonize over this. It just, I was tired. I was tired of sticking myself in the hip, the ass. And... It didn't make me feel great. I mean, I've been on this for 14 years, and I honestly, my objective, I wanted to go back to a baseline. I wanted to determine where my depression is truly rooted. Is it because I'm an old soul and I'm a writer and I just don't relate to this world? Yeah. Or is it because I am this hybrid gender, you know? And thus far, I can tell you, okay, I still have elements of depression i do feel that the testosterone exacerbated my depression because there's this angst these hormones are constantly you know at odds one subjugating the other and that's going to cause turmoil in your system yeah it's like the you've internalized both the patriarchy and the matriarchy yes and you are there you have become their battleground precisely yes yep so how has it been to, uh, what are the stages of that? I guess it's everybody's different when they get off of, let's say, testosterone. How has that been for you? And, and are, do you feel like you're going towards like a baseline, as you put it? Definitely. Initially, uh, the first couple of weeks, I mean, 
the strength. I literally felt the strength draining out of my body. I was wow. so fatigued and weak. Um, it wasn't frightening, but it was just, I was so tired. And I did have some mood swings. No, no hot flashes. I was surprised about that. But um, those were the only side effects. And I, I knew I wanted to see it through. And I want to preface this. I do not know, ultimately, if I will go back on testosterone. I, I haven't been off long enough. It, you know, it's a wait and see. And it's very individual. But right now, if things stay like this, hey, it's great. I don't, I don't need to go back on it. I still feel male, and it's fine. How How was your writing output um, affected by the detransition? It's actually been the same, if not um, better. But I, I would say I, I haven't noticed any difference. Mm-hmm. Difficulty concentrating or uh, keeping on uh, on point, you think? at all no in the past um and initially coming off of this i i had difficulty focusing but no not now hmm. you truly have earned your masters then you can keep <laughs> keep producing yes, yes. <laughs> while you're braving the slings and arrows of uh, a different bodily cocktail it's true yes hmm. it's, a, it's a wait and see right now so how you've been putting yourself out there via YouTube and uh, speaking about an issue that has a lot of opinions, a lot of strong opinions, a lot of people with personal stories and, and who have a lot of stake, it seems like, in other people's stories. People are, it seems like, and I don't mean to be uh, not generous, um, but it seems like this particular story of detransition has the capacity to trigger people who don't want their own narrative upset. Um, do, does, has that been your experience too? And, and how do we go forward with presenting a narrative that doesn't necessarily degrade somebody else's narrative, but it's just right. one, one narrative on the shelf? Um, I would say based on comments I've received in terms of narratives, those who are trans, they're the ones who um, have I would say 2%, and that's very minuscule, have taken offense. And I would say that those individuals are in a point in their lives where they're, they're still afraid. They don't want to question. And it is imperative, not only where gender is concerned, but across the board, to always question your beliefs, you, you know, what, um, where they came from, why you feel this way, why, why my story would anger you you know that that's a big indicator for someone who gets angry that they need to look at something in themselves and i've done the same with myself if i hear a story that angers me hmm. and i would say to those individuals that it, it's not an affront against them i'm not you know taking away their validation i can't do that i don't have that power i don't want that power yeah and it's just I'm doing this so that others can be informed and to be aware. Aware of what then? It seems like to to kind of summarize and, and then to de <coughs> disentangle the summary, it seems like what you were saying is that you had a, a number of, of uh, problems or issues or things that you needed to, to examine and deal with. And was transition a way to go forward with dealing with those things, or did it add another layer of things to deal with? It added another layer, a whole shitload, huh. <laughs> if I may say. It, it really did a whole element that, honestly, I didn't want to deal with. I didn't need to. I mean, life is difficult enough for everyone. It truly is. Having to have this other element on top, I mean, you don't want to have to go through life questioning your identity even after you transition the questions are always there you don't just put this you know in a box on a shelf and say okay it's gone right mm -hmm. there will always be something that comes up it's for life mm -hmm. and um i forgot the rest of your question <laughs> well let me rephrase it then what do you think you gained uh from 
living as a man and, and transitioning into m- malehood? Um, two incredible books, if I, if I may say so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the capacity to see life it just from such an outside perspective. I've always felt like I'm half in this world. And also to um, to see to see both sides of the spectrum, both sides of the coin. I mean, if you ask me, you know, if I had a choice, and some people would say, "Well, you did have a choice." Yes, I had a choice to act on it, uh, on transitioning. Uh, would I do it again? I always, and my mother's asked me this. Friends have asked me. I've always said, yes but with more caution. I may not have gone on the hormones as soon as I did. Granted, I was 20. To some people, that may not sound like it's soon. But I would have, I would have experimented more, questioned more, and just um, been more hesitant. Do you feel like you've been able to get to a place where you can harmonize the male and the female within you? Honestly, it's... It depends on what realm, Um, you know, when I'm out and about, it's fine. But personally, emotionally, that's really difficult. It is the emotional aspect. Is it, are they always in a tug of war? Is that what it feels like? I wouldn't say uh, a tug of war. It's just, maybe it's my, myself projecting onto my idea of what normal looks like. Hmm. And uh, over time I've um, hmm. come to get rid of, you know, those notions and create, I guess, my, uh, my version of normal. Yeah. Your baseline then. Yes. Yeah. Do you, what do you hope for as a, as a writer then? What do you hope your your stories uh, shed light upon in other people? Above all, and this preys on my mind a lot, I don't write for myself to put it in a drawer. I want it to um, resonate with individuals, connection, because we are lacking in connection in this world. And to me, that means so much. I connect with very few individuals. And if my story, not even the gender element, but just the human condition, if that can affect someone hmm. and say, hey, I know what that's like. I may not have experienced, you know, these types of things, but I get it. And that, that is paramount. I, I write so that others can benefit. Mm-hmm. And that's not a pitch. It's just, it's, it is my that's greatest, right. it, it's a frustration because for the longest time I've hidden myself. It's like a light under a bushel. And I'm like, well, if you want to reach people, you have to put yourself out there. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. How was I, I grad mean, school in that then? Did that um, hone was, you and open you up to that connection? Um, at the time, yes. But of all my acquaintances from grad school, and there weren't that many, there were only 13 in my graduating class. <laughs> I've remained in contact with two, um, which is which is great. But um, it was it was like a primer. Um, it was priming my social um, skills, I suppose. Hmm, that's interesting because writing is an asocial or delayed social activity. Mm-hmm. But but in finding yourself situated among writers who are focusing on an extensive project you you found co-ruminators then yes we we connected because we were writers and and that was nice we could relate on that level whole gender aside that that didn't matter Hmm. and when looking at and this is something that i've uh, been using as a tool in order to enter into political discourse to see and this is kind of a you could probably call it postmodern, but I see 
I see culture war as a clash of narratives and and figuring out the ability to read and to enter into uh, harmonic uh, interpretive relationship with different narratives and maintain oneself is the goal of founding a society, a multicultural society, or just a very complex society. And, and so seeing the tricks in certain narratives to shut down connection is something that I'm, that's my principal enemy in the culture wars, is that which blocks people off from other people. And um, I, now I have to formulate a question, but have you, you're very new, I guess, to the public discourse then, because you've been, you've been writing and now you're entering into it. And what do you hope to, how do you think that we can shift, I guess, just within the gender discussion to, to allow these different competing uh, viewpoints to, to find common ground? Do you, do you think that there's hope for that? And do you think there's, there's ways to get there? I, I definitely think there's hope for it. It will be gradual, extremely gradual. And it, it just takes it takes level-headed exposure. You can't be a zealot about this on either side. That's why I always say I'm not an activist. And it's, it's important how you go about it. It's... Um, then could you describe going about that to get level-headed exposure? Exposure is a great term. I want you to expand on that. Even I don't know what I say sometimes. <laughs> Either. It's just, it's like the um, expression, um, was it Roosevelt who said, uh, speak softly and carry a big stick, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And doesn't that have an anyone go to it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on how, how good your plastic you. surgeon is, I guess. <laughs> yes. But um, there's, I'm, I can be incredibly bold. And even though I'm quiet, and, and I think that's important, you know, I'm not going to stand up there and shout at someone and say, oh my God, you're wrong, you're wrong, and fight the wasted energy in fighting and trying to prove your point instead of and i know this is difficult i do instead of sitting there and saying okay i can't change this person's perspective but i can at least shed light on where i'm coming from and if you don't try to force yourself you cannot force tolerance and i think a lot of people sometimes they fail to see that and they want it now instant gratification and you can't do that. You cannot demand to be heard or respected. It, it doesn't work that way. Hmm. If that answers your question. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, and and I guess you have a particular set of skills, one through hard work and, and quiet contemplation. What, muscovation? Is that the word that you... <laughs> Musitation. Musitation. Yeah, that... that allows for you to clearly state your case from a, I guess, a writerly perspective or from the den. I'm going to speak from my quiet space and, and I'm going to fill up the, the common area with my quietude. In a way. Yes. Correct. And what, what, what's your next step then? What, what are your plans in the immediate and long-term future? I'm going to continue to make videos not a lot of them because i don't want to be pulled into that venue and that can be very toxic at times i don't want to spend hours you know responding to posts and whatnot and i want to continue to um i want to give readings from my book and it's funny there's a college uh where i am well known locally and i've tried to get in touch with their their gender department and no one's responded to me and it's very frustrating and I sit there and I say I want to be a resource but I don't hear anything so I mean I'm not going to give up yeah don't give up on that that's the no. other aspect of the uh, contention around detransition or even trans skepticism from somebody who is trans uh, is that the the official stance is that that you can't exist like 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 this that's what proves it to be an ideology. Like if a college gender department cannot actually reach out to a variety of genders, then then they have a, a, a motive for a, a agenda. 
Exactly. And they don't want anyone to counter that or, you know, even quietly shake it up because that would just be, that would cause problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, that's really frustrating because it, it just, it, again, it shows the weakness of bureaucrats. And again, I'm not against trans people. I'm against bureaucrats and activists in all their forms. Like that's... Yes. Yes. I, I'm not one of those who's going to go marching in the street for anything. Yeah. Uh, there's better ways to utilize time and energy. You're, you're the pamphleteer. Yeah. Depending With on what's printing. in that pamphlet. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. The, uh, the meditative manifesto. That's what you need. Right. Correct. Yep, or um, not to get off subject, but uh, Sophie Scholl and the the White Rose. Oh my gosh, that is a powerful story and very it's very disturbing because these individuals, they were twenty twenty two and they were executed. They were martyrs. This was in World War Two, Germany, and they were executed as an example because they were they were German but anti Nazi and they distributed some peaceful pamphlets around their university. And so they were arrested and guillotined in the 1940s. And hmm. I mean, just that that's not that long ago. Yeah. And um, that resonates with me, that time frame, the 1940s. And so that particular story really um, hmm. left a, just an impact. Do you feel that we might be headed in a direction or that there's overtures to that sort of behavior, if not just scaled back from a guillotine to perhaps a, a dog pile or a, a shoving one's uh, account off of social media kind of thing? I, um, I'd like to believe that nothing as drastic as the Holocaust would happen again but yeah. if we can if we continue to rewrite and erase history then we won't remember from whence we came and that's a problem we need to preserve history even in all its ugly details because it happened but um i think there's going to be another you know global global war downfall um because we have to flush out all of this angst um, on many levels and that is unfortunate. It truly is that we can't step back and say, oh, my gosh, from the beginning of time, we keep killing each other. To what end? Why? You know, is anyone sitting there saying why? And um, I mean, I I don't know. It's fascinating. Well, in it's dealing all- with your own angst. You didn't go the route of killing yourself. You didn't do a global war upon yourself. I mean, maybe i got to be really careful with the way that I'm framing things, but maybe you did some alterations to your terrain that were pretty uh, intense. Uh, but you you avoided disaster, personal disaster, uh, annihilation, let's say. And, like, how did, how did you avoid that? Um, I would say I, I avoided it by enduring. I think that's a key word, endurance. And even now, I sometimes have to remind myself that because there were points in my life I, I was very suicidal. I never actively attempted because I knew I would succeed. And But again, for anyone listening to this, I don't want to say that I attribute that to my gender situation. That element is because I know I'm an old soul and that has caused a lot of grief, being an old soul. But... Um, I waited it out, and sometimes, sometimes I give myself credit for that, and I say, "My gosh, you you survived, you did it." Other people would have just, you know, turned the gun on themselves. And I, I just ultimately, in my core, it's not that I I want to die; it's because I wanted to escape just the, the pain. And I think a lot of people who deal with suicide that that's the case; they just they want out um, because they can't handle it anymore. But ultimately, that's that's not the answer. It won't solve anything. Hmm. And I, and I can say this because I I know it. And there are still there are still periods when I'm like, damn, I I'm I don't want life. I'm tired. Yeah. It's not that I it's not that I want to die. It's just I don't want to live. Yeah. <laughs> it's huh. difficult. 
I understand. Well, you call yourself a romantic, and that's a a pre-psychology ideology. Uh, So have you found um, therapeutic um, practices, or have you found uh, practices that have caused therapy within you to deal with the pain? How have you dealt with the pain? Um, Patience. Doesn't always work, but patience. It, I consider, I call it this. It's like a, a banister or a bench. It smooths itself over time. The pain eventually itself down and smooths. You can only be in a state of turmoil for so long before returning to, you know, equilibrium. And for me, things that work, um, I have to remind myself that everything is temporary and to pull back from myself. That is imperative to not get so trapped in the mind. And um, and it, uh, there's become this trend in its new age. And I don't like, I don't like that. Um, I, I kind of dissociate myself with it. I do give credence to meditation. And I think a lot of people do it kind of, they try to fit it into their schedule. Whereas it, it's not something you do. It's a state of being. And no, I have not fully immersed myself in that state of being, but I have experienced it not with any books. No one taught me. The gateway was pain. And having been to that place, I would love to return. But living in this world, it is very difficult to stay in that place. And no, it doesn't mean that I shut myself in my room and just hide away. No, that's not what it was. But I do advocate um, meditation and not not going, you know, searching for the right way. You know, people think there's a key to it. The key to it is just stop trying and let go. And that sounds simple, but it isn't. It, it's elusive. But, um, hmm. Yeah, that was a long answer. No, there's a there's a subtle ironic tension between letting go and suicide and there there's a distinction because like there's what you're advocating which is a letting go and suicide is a letting go too in a way but you're drawing a pretty big distinction between those two things there's a way of removing oneself from the pain that actually allows you to engage with it at a later date or or in a better way rather yes. than just severing yourself from life exactly it it allows you to put it over here and look at it objectively so that you're not feeling it. And depending on what the issue is, it's not always easy. But again, it just, it requires endurance. And I don't know if I sound demonstrative, but I'm just, I, I know the feeling. So I'm just, I'm thinking about it right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm smiling because I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you're not nervous. You're you're in your element now. Okay. You're the, the writer guru. Um, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Weston. I really think that more people should be listening to you, and I hope that that you experiment with long forms of of speaking with the camera or reading or or really just putting putting yourself out there in whatever form you can. Um, and are your books um, being printed? Do you have a publisher at this point? Are they accessible? I do, I do for my uh, one, the Buildings Roman. So it's yeah. accessible on Amazon. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's a heavy read. Are you going to do an audio book version of it? I would love to, but I have to research um, how to go about doing that because I. The truth is, I love reading and public speaking i do it um i've taught some classes to students and i always tell them if you're going to read something give it time you know sometimes they'll just rattle something off and i'm like whoa you're not doing it justice you you just said something great but slow down and and i know a lot of people are afraid i i get that but you have to practice and feel the words you don't want to say it you know like a robot you have to embody the words. Yeah. But, um, huh. So, yes, that's where it, I will. 
the practice of writing is you're you're giving body to what is disembodied or what's internal and you're giving it body in the act of writing and then the reader embodies it on another level or re-embodies that which is disembodied and 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 participates in that embodiment of what's being embodied by the writing yes that was a mouthful but yes it, it makes perfect <laughs> i get it it makes perfect okay. sense it's true. I, i'm always uh three revisions from a perfect tweet you know <laughs> it, it's like um the body snatchers it take it you know it infiltrates the reader or it should yeah and you know, excellent writing will enter the reader and stay with them long after just images mm-hmm. even if the words you know elude them at times they some people can't remember quotes or whatnot but images mm-hmm. will linger mm-hmm. and that's what's powerful about writing yeah yeah and i mean that's kind of what's powerful about youtube too i mean you have just billions of images just fluttering in front of people's eyes yes it, it's amazing but also terrifying i mean it, it is and when i say terrifying i mean it, it doesn't scare me but it's just to see how something can take off that quickly it, it's dangerous it has yeah. to be used in the right light yeah responsibly yes yeah right uh <laughs> right <laughs> Well, thanks so much for your time, Weston. Um, I'm going to link all of your things to the description below. Do you have like a social media account that uh, people can er- interact with you in other than just the YouTube? I have a website and I do have Facebook, which I don't access that often, but yeah. it's fine. I mean, you can post that. Yeah. And if I get really dirty comments, that's okay too. That, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> I, I, I actually I, I can handle that i'm like oh, go for it that's nothing <laughs> wow well here's to a, a thousand beautiful comments then okay and if you want i can email you my um website and yeah just send it on over and i'll share it but and... thank you also for this time because it's it's actually it, it's it's great that someone that you're taking the time to, you know, reach out and explore this issue. And I have not had this opportunity. Hmm. It's, it's great on both sides. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's been great for me and it's going to be great for others. I guarantee it. Good. And do send me, um, a copy of your book. Oh yeah, I will. Okay, we'll we'll chat off offline, and I'll I'll get your address from you and send yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not giving my address on this. <laughs> no, 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 we are not going to dox ourselves. That's the last thing no. we're going to do. All right, Weston, you have a good day. All right, you as well. All right. Thanks. Ciao.